Welcome to the Marketing Agility Podcast, where we discuss all things related to the growing field of agile marketing. This podcast is co-produced by Frank Days and the Agile Marketing Alliance so that we can learn, share, and grow together. I'm Jim Yule, and Melissa Reeve and I will be your hosts for today's episode. Today, we're speaking with Steve Davis, Managing Director and Transformation Lead at Accenture. Steve has a deep background in Agile, going back almost two decades. We ran into each other at the SAFE Summit, and Steve shared one of the earliest stories that we've ever heard of people practicing Agile in marketing. We're excited to have Steve on the show today. Steve, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. And it was really good to connect with you guys in uh, Nashville. Well, Steve, tell us a little bit about yourself. What got you started in Agile and what were those early days like? Yeah, absolutely. I got started in Agile in 2001, which was coincidentally the year that the Agile Manifesto was signed. And I was working in the Salt Lake City area near where that was done, but I wasn't a part of that. But we just, I was part of a company doing, delivering retail systems and we were not keeping up with what our customers' needs were in retail. It was often, we would define requirements coming out of a holiday season heavily during the beginning of the year. Then we would go to work doing our best to code and configure and deploy against those requirements. And by the time the next holiday season was upon us, we were, you know, rushing to finish and nobody was happy because the retailers, specialty retailers were coming back to us saying, what would really make us competitive this year would be if you could make it do this. And we would say, well, that ship sailed in January when we defined requirements um, mm -hmm. for this. And so we knew we needed to do something different and we tried all sorts of things, rapid application development, spiral development, all of these things and came upon Scrum and just started experimenting, quite frankly. There really, we didn't find any classes. We read some of the early books. We got onto some forums where we collaborated. And so from the beginning in 2001 and two, it was us just experiment and learn cycles. And, but we found some real successes there where we were able to work with our customers throughout the year. And even as late as August, defining new strategic things, features for them, for their applications, we connected the software we had wasn't just in stores. We were connecting their warehouses and their stores. So you could buy in the store and have it shipped to your home or, or see inventory across their enterprise. And so it was a great thing for us. And we ended up transforming everything we did throughout our enterprise, including our operations, not so much marketing in that case. And that was my start is helping transform that organization. I was the PMO director, but also partnered with the engineering director in that journey. In 2005, I joined ancestry.com and worked for the chief technology officer. And among the things he asked me to do was to implement agile ways of working and transform mm -hmm. the company. And so that's really where I got started in agile is taking those early learnings that were refined over about a three year period and then taking it to a company and thinking about agile holistically within ancestry.com. 
Yeah. So we mentioned that you have one of the earliest stories of agile marketing that we've ever heard of. And I believe it, it was with Ancestry.com. So what was it that started to branch out from software and move into the marketing area? Absolutely. Of course, with, as with most, we started with the software teams, but the software development teams at Ancestry.com were delivering often for marketing and working closely with operations. What we found in after that first year or so, and we started that journey in 2005, by 2006, it seemed like we were recognizing a pattern in our iterations, our two-week iterations, that marketing always had a hair on fire moment. We want to do our Valentine's Day promotion. I think was the one that really, where it came to a head and it was a fire drill the week before they wanted to get it out there. It was, everyone had to work late and long hours. And I don't know who originally stated it was, we need to tell marketing that next year, Valentine's day is on February 14th. <laughs> and we know that ahead of time, if you want to run a Valentine's day promotion, Let's do it ahead of time. And so we had just hired a really good scrum master and I asked her to work with the marketing team and she went and worked with the marketing team in terms of what we really need is to establish a regular cadence and a predictable pattern of inflow demand and delivery because most of what marketing did for Ancestry.com wasn't long cycles. It was short cycles. It was, hey, we have an idea. We want to test something. Hey, we have a conference coming up. We need some art. We have a promotion we want to run. We need banners and we need web pages and we need intake funnels for our customers and things like that. And so she worked with them to establish a one-week cadence. At first, we called them one-week sprints right? Where they would plan on Friday or Monday and get the work done that was expected that week. Our focus in the beginning was that intake funnel. What is going to be the priority for the next week? And we had escalation paths because we knew we weren't going to get them out of that pattern completely right away, but it really started to work. And over the course of a number of months, the marketing team became one of the most regular, trusted, predictable teams in the company. Everyone knew you, they had a Thursday meeting to prioritize things. If you wanted to get stuff into their intake funnel, like end of the day, Wednesday, Thursday, they would prioritize and ask questions. Friday, they would plan the next week and go. They evolved that into a Kanban flow, right? And so what does the intake funnel look like? What is, what is being prepared and ready for work? What is being worked and what has been delivered? And then from a marketing standpoint, it was important to incorporate what impact did it have? Because there was a lot of A-B testing going on with, between the product group and the marketing group. And so that was really the story of that marketing team. They, they really became trusted partners with the engineering group 
and with the operations team, quite frankly, because that was another area where we, where we really went into agile that was, that was different, but that marketing team, they loved it. They felt better about their work. They felt better about how they interacted with the company. And it wasn't raise the flag to a VP and start a fire if, if something was needed. Steve, it's fascinating because that was in 2006, I think you said, right? Yes. And here yes. we are 17 years later and many marketing departments have the same issues, right? They are constantly running fire drills, right? They are not trusted to deliver stuff with predictability and in a sustainable way. They're often not aligned with the other departments like operations and development, as you mentioned, and, and, and that sort of, sort of thing. One, I, I, I just like, I, I know this is off the script, but I want to understand why do you think that Agile hasn't, you know, just taken over in marketing and been universally adopted in marketing? Because clearly teams like that had a lot of benefits from doing that. Why, why do you think it hasn't been adopted more often by marketers? I think my experience, so I'm not going to speak for the whole industry and others may have other experiences, but my experience suggests that not enough people have been willing to go to marketing and have a collaborative conversation about what are you trying to accomplish? What do, what, how do we work? How do you work? How do we work together? And too often it's, we work this way in development or engineering and marketing is always a headache and it, it just never, they would never do that. And, and assumptions get made because whenever I've had the opportunity to go and have that conversation with the marketing teams, and I don't do it by the way, in a manner of, would you like to be baptized in my agile religion? Right. I'm here to transform you. Let's go. Right. I'm the tax right. man. I'm here to help you. I have a better way and I want to tell you about it. You can't approach it like that. You need of to, course. you have to approach those conversations with what are you trying to do on a regular basis? How are you doing it? How can we work together? Naturally, the patterns that agile brings will become a part of that solution, that iterating. Because marketing, I agree with you, it's naturally one of those disciplines within every company that is by nature fast moving. It is going to change. It is going to test and learn by its very nature. And so I think it's a great fit. And this goes all the way through throughout the organization. Recently, when I met with you guys, I was at the, uh, the SAFE Summit and Ken Spangler, who was the operating technologies CIO for FedEx globally, spoke with me, his partner in that enterprise business agility transformation was Brie Carrere, who's the chief marketing officer of FedEx. Right. And she absolutely loves the concepts of prioritize, focus. Don't stop adding more things to your whip, limit your whip. She got excited about reducing the number of major enterprise initiatives down to something that they could focus on. And so 
it, it runs throughout the organization that I think there's a natural affinity for this, but to end, this is a long answer to your question. I think not enough people are willing to go and have that meaningful conversation with marketing. Well, and not be, you called it baptizing them in agile and be, I'd say maybe beating them over the head in agile. And you have the software folks, and I, I do feel like software folks are more inclined to follow a framework. They're maybe even seeking one out and they want that structure. And I feel like some of the resistance that we've seen to, to agile in marketing is when you come in with a thou shalt attitude, thou shalt have sprints, thou shalt, those sprints shalt be two weeks long. And I find it just fascinating that even in the early days, you were open-minded enough to, and, and recognized that you were there to problem solve and not to impart your knowledge on a group of people. And do you also see that as some of the, I guess that's what you're essentially saying, but some of the resistance is that we don't have enough people trained to have those collaborative discussions to really suss out what the objectives are and where the problems lie. Yeah, I'm going to draw on the word you used about trained, right? I think perhaps I, my hypothesis would be perhaps we're training in the wrong way. We're training the how instead of starting with the why. Mm -hmm. I was fortunate enough in my journey to not begin with a certified scrum master class or something of that sort. I think that served me. I was in an environment where I needed to solve a problem and we were trying out things that, that were based on hypotheses that were put forward in the marketplace. And then we were just learning from it and I didn't have some formal training. I'm not suggesting that training is bad. In fact, I think it's fantastic. But do we start that training with, here's five steps to take, and then you will be better? Or do we start that with, what is the intent behind what we're really trying to achieve? And I'll, I'll use the scaled agile framework as an example. There are dogmatic individuals with the scaled agile framework, and they would be like the ones who would maybe be off-putting to a marketing group if they went to them and said, we have the way, you just need to do what we tell you. Then on the other end, there's people who criticize the framework because it's because of the dogma that they perceive. Mm -hmm. And the reality is a framework is a place to reference patterns and practices that might help you, mm -hmm. not a recipe for take these five steps and then mix it and then cook it for 40 minutes and, and take it out and you have a result. And so I think when we talk about training and not enough people are trained using your words, yes, but that training has got to be rooted in the why mm -hmm. and the intent. What is the real intent? And then as we rec, as we explore practices, we can ma match those up with what the intent is and really have a, a better result. 
Yeah, I think that's really wise, Steve. Start with why, apply patterns and practices where, when and where people need them to address their local situation, whatever it is in doing that. I, I want to just go back a little to the Ancestry.com example that you mentioned. What were some of the outcomes that they experienced, that marketing department experienced as a result of adopting some of these patterns and practices that we, we've talked about? Yeah. Um, what, what did you see? So I'm going to go back to what we were just talking about and then answer your question, which is we started with, well, what is the problem we're trying to solve? What's our why? It was always stressed out, hair on fire. We had an example of a wonderful marketing person, a woman in the, on the team who would go to the developers she would take them a candy bar or a Mountain Dew or a Dr. Pepper, <laughs> say, I just need this banner created. Can you help me out? She would stay at their desk and, and sweet talk them until she got what she needed. And uh, we would have a retrospective with the developers and say, why didn't we finish? Well, we had this disruption and, and people on the team were like, she's evil. And I said, no, she's not. She's smart. <laughs> right? Because she knows that's how we get things done. And unless we have a different way. So there was stress levels, there was escalations, there was mistrust. And when you get mistrust within an organization, then there's finger pointing, then there's, it, it just spirals. So that was the situation before. Afterward, as they became the highly trusted, highly predictable, we know what they work on, they communicate their priorities transparently. The stress levels for everyone went down, right? The trust was reestablished and built. The, I saw people having more fun in their work, mm -hmm. which marketers are a, a great source of creativity, innovation, and therefore in my world, fun. And so Let's get the fun back into the work, right? Because yeah. we're not stressed out and escalating and mistrusting each other because everything seems chaotic. And that was really what made the difference at Ancestry as well. And they loved their scrum master that I sent in there. And she and I had a great conversation. She said to me, she said, they don't need a friend. They need a mother. Because moms know how to say no sometimes, right? And she yeah. would. She would say, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to go back to our old way. I'm here to help you reinforce that. And they loved her for that because she helped them build that trust and that, that, that sense of predictability that they, that they then thrived on. That's, it just strikes, it rings a bell with me because I was that person with the Mountain Dew and the candy bar trying to talk the developers into creating my banner, creating this. And you speak to the lack of trust. And that was there too, because inevitably I would have a developer who would, marketers don't get a lot of respect. And sure. the developer would look at me and not know my level of te technical expertise and try and snow me, right? And, oh gosh, Melissa, love to do that banner for you, but that's going to take at least a month. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And 
And I'd be like, mm, maybe not. So I definitely empathize with the stories that, that you're telling. I want to sh- switch gears a little bit and talk about change because right. I'm not sensing a lot of resistance to change and you're making it sound very easy. Well, just create a compelling why and address the pain. And of course, everybody's going to raise their hand, say, I'm all in and, and let's go with this. But that's not always the case. And so what guidance would you have for our, our listeners and, and the marketers out there who are maybe trying to initiate some of this behavior change and are, are facing resistance? Yeah, I would say just get started and start with, again, what's our intent? Which problems are we trying to solve? Don't try to solve all of them at once. Pick one, pick one simple problem you're going to solve and solve it with that. And I'm a big believer in institutional habits, right? From Charles Duhigg's book, The The Power of Habit. Mm -hmm. He says there are no organizations without institutional habits, only places where they're deliberately designed or places where they arise without forethought. So they come from rivalry and fear. Mm -hmm. So we have that choice. And I would say to marketing and those working with marketing individuals, choose your intentional, be intentional about your habits. What are those habits? Recognize that when we say we want to set a regular cadence, it's not about control. It's about habits. And then do it often, right? You can't form new habits by doing it once a month. Mm -hmm. You've got to do it more often. And I think marketing is the perfect place to do it once a week. And then it's easier. When something's hard, do it more often. It becomes easier. You find ways to make it easier, right? And so it's, you're absolutely correct in suggesting it's not always easy. I think the argument for do you want to be better is usually the easiest part of the argument than actually tackling the what makes it better mm-hmm. is the harder part for sure. But take some steps and just whether it's transparency, whether it's reducing the working process, start less to do more. Ken always said to me, go slow to go fast. And I think that there's a lot there. And don't get caught up in the methodology side of things. Mm -hmm. I think the entire Agile community needs to not get so caught up in the methodology side of things and really get back to some of those principles and what we're really trying to achieve. So I don't know, long answer to what should they do? Just get started and pick one or two things you want to improve and then continue the cycle and establish a habit of always doing that. Quite frankly, back to it being a natural thing for marketing. I think that's what marketing does on a continual basis anyway, to be successful. You can't come up with a marketing campaign that works for three years in a row, let alone even a full year, mm-hmm. right? It's always changing. It's always evolving. Yeah. And that, that reminds me of Kanban. Start where you're at and just continually improve, right? That feels like a very Kanban-esque mindset. Yes. Yes. Steve, I was also fascinated about your description of FedEx and how 
they collaborated together, right? And one of the things that we'd like to see more of is less big A agile and more business agility, right? And, and sure, and getting more of those different departments, whether it be marketing or finance or procurement or for working together. What what do you see as the momentum of business agility right now? What's helping it, helping drive it, and what's holding it back? I think a lot of the momentum that I see, and maybe it's because I'm invited to those conversations, is from the senior level saying, there's a lot going on in our enterprise. We need to get a better handle on our portfolio of work. And so it starts that business agility imperative in the conversations I'm having is starting with that desire for, hey, all these principles are good, but we need to apply them at our enterprise level to really, because then we're talking about millions and tens and maybe hundreds of millions or billions of dollars that we're making decisions about pivoting on and then it's business driven not just better execution in the technology sphere driven right right and when when it is business driven then we can really start to look at principle number one of the scaled agile framework which comes from don reinertson's work right take an economic view right what are the economics of this not what is the velocity or what is the priority number, things like that. So that's what I see in terms of what that imperative is for business agility and driving it from a business perspective. Any thoughts about what's holding it back? Yeah, I think we've talked about it. I think it's some of the dogma and the perceptions when that emerges. And when I say the words, I want to baptize you in my agile religion instead of, I want to work with you and figure out a better way for us to work together and get products to market faster. And then allowing the patterns to serve the intent instead of the intent being a methodology. So I think that's what's getting in the way. I think. So I think, uh, the other thing that gets in the way, and we in the community have talked about this for years is the frozen middle of management mm -hmm. because they've, I want to empathize with them. When I say this, they've worked hard for many years, sometimes 10, 20 years to get to that level in the organization, they perceive a great deal of risk. And what they know of how they got to that position is a different set of rules than what you're trying to bring them with agile ways of working, right? And so there, they, there's this fear, this uncertainty. I, when we're coaches or consultants, we get to come in, make recommendations and leave. They have to live with it. Mm -hmm. And so they're there, that's where the fear and the anxiety comes from. And we have to empathize with that, but we also have to encourage them. And I say frozen middle, because when you talk to people way at the top, they're, they get it. They're like, yes, anything to make it better. Let's give it a try. 
And the people at the bottom are like anything the old way. And, and enough of the industry is practicing agile now that most of the execution layer is familiar with it or already operating that way. And so that's what I think becomes part of that resistance. And so take, for example, marketing director, like the position of a marketing director within a company, apply the same thing I just said. It's taken them years to get to that point. They got there on a certain set of expectations and rules and habits within the organization. And now we're telling them, oh no, all of that's wrong. You should do this. Naturally, they're going to have a reaction to that. Well, for sure. And I've got a talk I call the hidden forces of, that make bad bosses. And there all, are all these hidden forces that are, are shaping the way people operate and oftentimes leads to dissatisfied individuals. Steve, it's been such an engaging conversation. I have one last question uh, to ask you, which is hey. we've gone all the way back to 2001. You have this amazing history within Agile. What do you see playing out over the next five to 10 years? I think we, I, a lot of the agile community that's trying to help people, it's been commoditized. Companies who want the help are reaching out and saying, come help us. I think we need to rethink the approach as a community companies who are adopting these practices need to rethink how they do this. And my thoughts, and again, I'm maybe I'll make the industry, I'll get some reactions out of this is we need companies to own their transformation instead of outsource it. Instead of saying, bring in an army of coaches and, and you coaches, consultants, whoever, you own my transformation, right? Instead of that, they need to figure out ways. And it doesn't mean they won't get help from outside. They still should. They need to figure out a way for, from the beginning, we own this, we drive this. How do we do that? How do we enable our people? Because when an army of people from outside come in, mm -hmm. it's if I'm in there and I'm the employee, I'm probably going to say, well, I don't need to own it because they brought in these people to own it. Right. So I'll just keep doing what I do and be critical of whatever, um, give your people an opportunity to, to own it and be a part of it and drive it. And we worked in partnership with FedEx to do that. It didn't go as fast as we wanted to. But they're there now. We're no longer there. I'm up on that stage talking with Ken Spangler and we're no longer there. He has a coaching office internally that is operating and advancing what they're doing. And so that's what I think we need to consider in the future is instead of outsourcing your change, um, drive it from within. Well, thank you, Steve, for sharing your stories and your wisdom with us. It's really been great. So. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. Well, thanks for listening to our show today. Check out the show notes. Um, and uh, we're glad to be here. <laughs>